Amen. I love that song. It's probably one of my favorites that uh, the, the ensemble that we get a chance to sing. Um, it's just it's a really good song singing about how God, how good God is to us. Uh, take your Bibles if you have it. Uh, we'll be in Ezra, Ezra chapter number one. And this morning we're going to be talking about the hand of God, specifically the good hand of God uh, in the life of Nehemiah and the life of Ezra. Um, and the, the phrase that we have in our English, the hand of God, is found in the Bible 16 times. The hand of the Lord, 39 times. Um, and it's, a, it's a, often a phrase that used, uh, is used for powerful things that God has done or is going to do. Either a prophecy or a judgment or a blessing or something that only God can do. The hand of God, the hand of the Lord. When, when the children of Israel tro- uh, crossed the Jordan River, um, they came across a mighty miracle that God did, letting them cross over. Uh, and Joshua, in Joshua chapter 4, verse 24, they, they had 12 stones that they piled up together. And the Bible says that all the people, the reason they did that, that all the people of the earth might know the hand of the Lord, that it is mighty, that ye might fear the Lord your God forever. And so this morning, we're going to kind of use that as a... a Uh, a challenge for us to think about the hand of our God. So go to Ezra chapter number one. We're going to see how the hand of God was on Ezra's life and then also on the life of Nehemiah. Um, And before we get there, a little bit of a background um, of what was going on at this time. In in Ezra chapter number one, um, we find a a king named Sirius. And uh, we'll begin reading in verse number one. Now in the first year of Sirius, king of Persia, that the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah might be fulfilled, the Lord stirred up the spirit of Cyrus, king of Persia, that he made a proclamation throughout all his kingdom and put it also in writing, saying, Thus saith Cyrus, king of Persia, um, that the Lord God of heaven hath given me all the kingdoms of the earth, and he hath charged me to build him a house at Jerusalem, which is in Judah. Who is there among you of all his people? His God be with him. And let him go up to Jerusalem, which is in Judah, and build the house of the Lord God of Israel. He is the God, which is in Jerusalem. And whosoever remaineth in any place where he sojourneth, let the men of his place help him with silver and with gold and with goods and with beasts beside the freewill offering for the house of God that is in Jerusalem. Let's pray. Lord, you're so good to us. God, I just ask for your help now this uh, as I preach, God, I pray that you just uh, uh, just clear my thoughts. God, help me just to be able to uh, uh, share this message, God, that you've laid on my heart, God. I do pray that uh, uh, you'd bless the preaching of your word now. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Now, how many of us, if you, if you think of a king or you think of a ruler um, that's in control of a vast empire, does he go into another nation and, and want them to rebuild a city or rebuild uh, a temple to, to a god. You know, uh, the children of Israel, um, Nebuchadnezzar had come in and, and it was really God's judgment on them for their sin. But God, uh, Nebuchadnezzar destroyed Jerusalem. He tore down the walls. He, he uh, took all the gold and all the, um, the, the precious things that were at the temple. Um, and, and really, the, the children of Israel had been living very desolate lives. And now, in Ezra chapter 1, uh, God starts a series of events. And we see that in verse number 1. The Lord stirred up the spirit of the king. You know, it, 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 it's like someone over in Europe saying, I want to go to, to Canada and I want them to, to um, rebuild their nation. You know, it, just, it doesn't happen where a foreign ruler 
would have sympathy or, or have a desire um, for another nation, one that they had conquered, to rebuild. But not, not, nevertheless, we see the Lord stirred up the spirit of, of the king, and he, he makes this proclamation. He says, go back, rebuild it uh, uh, with the treasures and, and freewill offering, silver and gold with goods, the Bible says in verse 4. Um, and so that begins. Uh, but then if you go to, uh, forward a few chapters, in Ezra chapter number 4, we find that there's opposition. There's opposition to the work. And, uh, and we're going to jump through some of these verses instead of reading the whole chapter. But verse number, uh, chapter 4, verse number 1, the Bible says, Now when the adversaries of Judah and Benjamin heard that the children of the captivity builded the temple unto the Lord God of Israel... Verse 2, then they came to Zerubbabel and to the chief uh, of the fathers and said unto them, let us build with you, for we seek your God as ye do, and we do sacrifice unto him since the days of Rashadon, king of Aser, uh, which brought us up hither. And essentially what they were doing is they were mixing in, and, and if we were to read through the whole thing, um, they, they essentially frustrate the work. They cause hindrance, they, they, they interrupt it. Uh, and then in verse number 7, we read another opposition. In the days of Artaxerxes wrote uh, Bishlam, uh, Mithridath, and, and Tabil, and the rest of their companions under Artaxerxes, king of Persia. Uh, the writing of the letter was written in the Syrian tongue and interpreted in the, in the Syrian tongue. And again, we won't read the whole thing, but essentially what they said is they, they said, you know, king, if, if you let the children of Israel rebuild, they'll rebel. Um, if you let them build the walls of Jerusalem, if you let them build their temple, if you let them uh, amass strength and defenses, they'll rebel against your rule. Uh, they ask the king, um, they say, search the history books, you know, and, and read what the, the, the pattern that the children of Israel have had in the past to, uh, to kings that had rule over them. Um, and, we, and go down to verse 17. And so the king does that. Verse 17, then sent a king, sent the king an answer unto Rehum the chancellor, and Shimshay the scribe, and to the rest of their companions that dwell in Samaria, and unto the rest beyond the river. Peace. And at such a time, the letter which ye sent unto us hath been plainly read before me. Verse 19, here's the command. And I commanded, and search hath been made, and it is found that this city of old time hath made insurrection against kings, and that rebellion and sedition have been made therein. There have been mighty uh, kings also over Jerusalem, which have ruled over all countries beyond the river, and toll and tribute and custom was paid unto them. Give ye now commandment to cause these men to cease, and that the city be not builded, until another commandment shall be given unto me. Take heed now that ye fail not to do this. Why should damage grow to the herd of the kings? And so he says, look, I, I've studied the history. I found out, yeah, you know what? They do rebel. They are prone to sedition. They, they are used to having their own ruler. They're used to having, um, Bible said that they had kings that, that received their own tribute and, uh, and, and tolls and custom was paid unto them. You know, and, and, uh, and so he believed them and he, uh, he put a stop to the rebuilding of Jerusalem. Now, if you put yourself in, in the mindset of the Israelites at the time, the, the Jews at the time, um, it kind of take the wind out of your sail. You know, God comes and he, he puts it on the heart of, of the, um, the previous ruler to allow them to start. And then opposition comes from within. Opposition comes from without. And then comes on the scene Ezra and Nehemiah. And we are going to see the impact 
that God's hand had on them. And so go forward a few chapters. Ezra chapter number seven. And remember, in your mind, we have the king's decree, the command to stop. All right, Ezra chapter seven, uh, verse number one. Now after these things, in the reign of Artaxerxes, king of Persia, uh, Ezra, and then it's gonna, the next four verses are all his heritage. And I'm gonna save you guys from having to listen to me butcher all those names. So we're gonna skip down to verse number six. Um, this Ezra went up from Babylon, and he was a ready scribe in the law of Moses, which the Lord God of Israel had given him. And the king granted him all his request, according to the hand of the Lord his God upon him. Ezra came and he made a request. Can I go back? Can I uh, begin the rebuilding again? And the king granted him. The king granted him to start the rebuilding of the temple, of the city. And the phrase that caught my attention as I was reading through this, according to the hand of the Lord, according to the hand of the Lord his God upon him. When we see according to, I want to kind of, the, we talk a little bit differently. Today we would say because of. So in the Bible we see according to in this verse. In, in our minds, if, if, if you want to try and understand it a little bit differently, we could say because of. The king granted him all his requests because of, because the hand of the Lord his God was upon him. Verse 7, And there went up some of the children of Israel, and of the priests and the Levites, and the singers, and the porters, and the Nithinims, uh, unto Jerusalem in the seventh year of Artaxerxes the king. And he came to Jerusalem in the fifth month, fifth month, which was in the seventh year of the king. For upon the first day of the first month began he to go up from Babylon, and on the first day of the first month, um, came he Jerusalem according to or because the good hand of God was upon him. There's only three times in scripture that we see that phrase, the good hand of God or the good hand of his God. And that, that's a wonderful thing to think of that, that Ezra was able because of God's blessing to make a request of the king. The king has stopped the work. He said, no, you can't, um, you know, I don't want anyone to rise up in rebellion. I don't want the temple rebuilt. I don't want Jerusalem fortified. And yet God had his hand on Ezra. God had his good hand on Ezra. In verse 9, talks about his arrival in Babylon. We see uh, the, the hand of God was upon him in verse 6. Uh, and then in verse 9, it's repeated, the good hand of his God was upon him. Talking about the safety that he had in his journey. You know, it's not the same as just getting on a plane and flying somewhere. You know, I, I, uh, when I was 16, um, I flew out to Vancouver uh, to visit the Crustles. Um, and you can get there, I think it was about four and a half hours or five hour flight. You know, and, and but travel in, in Ezra's day was so different. You know, uh, you know, fear of thieves and fear of, of, of the weather affecting you is a much longer journey. Uh, and, and so God had his hand on him in his travel as well. Verse number 10 tells us the why. For Ezra had prepared his heart to seek the law of the Lord and to do it, and to teach Israel in statutes and judgments. Let's read that whole verse, or that whole passage, or phrase again, okay? Um, according to the good hand of his God upon him, and why? For Ezra had prepared his heart. Now, I think that's such an important thing for us. If, if we, at the end of, of the message, we'll talk about different things in, in our day-to-day -day, uh, that, uh, that we might face, that might feel insurmountable or feel difficult or, or feel uh, that there's opposition to the work. 
You know, and when Ezra um, prepared his heart to seek the law of the Lord, the Bible says that the hand, the good hand of his God was upon him to seek the law of the Lord. And then not just to, to seek it, but to do it and not just do it, but to teach it. Now, isn't that it's such a simple verse, but there's so much there uh, that should convict us. You know, if we want God's hand, we seek the law of God, we do it, and then we try and teach it to others. Verse number nine also gives us another, another neat little uh, uh, preposition, I guess, if you want to call it, a possessive, or I guess it's a possessive adjective. Uh, his God, the good hand of his God, not just of God or a God, but Ezra had God as his God. And I think that's a good thing for us to notice. Go, to, go down in the same chapter, verse number 27. Blessed be the Lord God of our fathers, which hath put such a thing as this in the king's heart. Ezra realized that it was God that had placed this, this, this idea to give him permission on the heart of the king. Uh, to beautify the house of the Lord, which is in Jerusalem. Verse 28, and hath extended mercy unto me before the king and his counselors and before all the mighty princes. And I was strengthened as the hand of the Lord my God was upon me. You know, if, if you've ever headed up a project or if you're ever um, in a position of, of um, high authority and you had a lot of people under you that you're responsible, um, it might be daunting you know, and if, if Ezra had heard anything about the opposition to the work the first time, um, how, how there was fighting within, fighting from outside, and, and uh, you know, it was, uh, it was no doubt a difficult task, something that, it, that wasn't lost on him. You know, he never thought it would be easy. Um, and so I think that's why, you know, that verse is there as well, that, that God strengthened Ezra, encouraged him, is another definition of that word. As I was strengthened, as the hand of the Lord my God was upon me. And I gathered together out of Israel chief men to go up. We see the same thing with Nehemiah. We saw it with Ezra. And then go forward to Nehemiah. In the, in the Jewish, uh, the, the, um, the Old Testament that the Jews would use, um, the book of Ezra and, and Nehemiah are actually one book. Um, and I, I found that kind of interesting as I was preparing for this lesson, but um, not that that has a huge impact, but just a, a little side note of, of uh, interest, if, if that's something that interests to you. Um, but Nehemiah chapter number two, we find a very similar story, very similar. Chapter two, verse number one, and it came to pass in the month of Nisan in the 20th year of Artaxerxes the king. All right, so the Bible says Ezra was in the seventh year, and the Bible says Nehemiah was in the 20th year. That wine was before him, and I took up the wine and gave it unto the king. Now I had not been before time sad in his presence. Wherefore the king said unto me, Why is thy countenance sad, seeing thou art not sick? This is nothing else but sorrow of heart. Then was I sore afraid, and said unto the king, Let the king live forever. Why should not my countenance be sad, when the city and the place of my father's sepulchres lieth waste, and the gates thereof are consumed with fire? And so clearly the, the job hadn't been done yet. Uh, Jerusalem was still, uh, still, the gates were still broken down. The temple was not yet complete. And uh, even though Ezra had already got permission to go and, and brought a first group of people with him and supplies, um, the work wasn't done. And Nehemiah said, or obviously it bothered him. His countenance was sad. Verse four, then the king said unto me, for what dost thou make request? 
And look at what Nehemiah do, does here. The next, the next words here. So I prayed to the God of heaven. That, that's powerful. You know, when, when the king would say, okay, you're sad. Um, and then he says, look, my, my city is, is torn down. My, my land is, tor- is uh, lieth waste. Um, and, and it, you know, and the king says, well, what, what do you want? What can I do to help, perhaps? And he just, he's, he pauses and, and he prays. And, and how awesome is that? Verse number five. And I said unto the king, if it please the king, and if thy servant have found favor in thy sight, that thou wouldest send me unto Judah, unto the city of my father's sepulchres, that I may build it. And the king said unto me, the queen also sitting by him, for how long shall thy journey be, and when wilt thou return? So it pleased the king to send me, and I set him a time. Moreover, I said unto the king, if it please the king, let letters be given me to the governors beyond the river. They may convey over, uh, convey me over till I come into Judah, and a letter and a letter unto Asaph the keeper of the king's forest, that he may give me timber to make beams for the gates of the palace which appertained uh, to the house, and for the wall of the city, and for the house that I shall enter in. And the king granted me. And again, look at this this next phrase: according to the good hand of my God upon me, because the good hand of my God was upon me. Nehemiah said that he he granted him his request, you know. And as we as we saw with Ezra, um, I believe that the good hand of God was upon him because he prepared his heart. And and with Nehemiah, I believe the good hand of God was upon him because when he was given the opportunity, almost like a, a you know the genie comes out of the bottle. What's your wish? You know, uh, the king says, "What do you want? What's your request?" Uh, he didn't just just you know, fly off the cuff and, and give him an answer. He paused and he prayed and he sought God. And when you seek God, when, when Nehemiah prayed, I believe that brought God's blessing onto his life according, because the good hand of my God was upon me. And again, look at verse number eight. It's possessive. The good hand of my God. All right. It wasn't just the God of Israel, even though he is, you know, but Nehemiah claimed him as his God. He made a request and God blessed him uh, when he began with prayer. And so how does this apply for our our present day needs? You know, I I know we're not the Jews. You know, we don't have Jerusalem. We're not trying to rebuild the temple. Um, and, And so it's not a, you know, an apples to apples comparison. But we would be, we would have the same needs that they would, or, or fundamental needs, I guess, or the, the idea that we have needs. Um, and some of our needs feel pretty insurmountable. All right, if, you, if your desire was to rebuild the temple and the king had just said, nope, stop the, stop the work, uh, you guys are rebellious, you're, you're um, going to rise up against me if you guys build, <clears throat> and the king just flat out, you know, cease, stop working. Um, you know, it, it might feel insurmountable. Uh, and yet God was still able to, to show them the power of his hand, the might of his hand. And so what about today? What are some of the obstacles that we face? Um, things that we feel that we can't accomplish in ourselves. Things that we feel are beyond our ability. And I wrote down just a couple. And the first one is to see souls saved. And I, and I don't want that to be a discouragement. Oh, it's so hard to see people saved. It's, it's so difficult to see people saved. Um, but more from the approach of in myself, by myself, I can never see anybody saved. 
You know, I could have the best words and I could, you know, try and befriend somebody. Um, but little old me, Calvin Baker, cannot save anybody. I can't even save myself. And so when we think about salvation, it is insurmountable uh, from a, a fleshly man's ability or, or strength that we have. Go to Acts chapter 11, in the New Testament, Acts chapter 11. As we think about the, the desire that we have to see people saved and how little we can do in ourselves to see that accomplished. Acts chapter 11, verse 19. Now they which were scattered abroad upon the persecution that arose about Stephen traveled as far as uh, Phineas and Cyprus and Antioch, preaching the word to none but unto the Jews only. And some of them were men of Cyprus and Cyrene, which when they were come to Antioch, spake unto the Grecians, preaching the Lord Jesus. Verse 21, and the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number believed and turned unto the Lord. What would verse 21 say if God hadn't gone with them? If it had just been um, that they spake unto the, the, the Grecians preaching the Lord Jesus and then just stopped. God wasn't part of, of the, the preaching. God wasn't involved um, as the scriptures were open. If God wasn't welcome in their meetings, what would have happened? I, I guarantee if God has not, was not part of that, if the hand of the Lord was not with them, no one would have been saved. And not, you know, the Bible says a great number believed and turned unto the Lord. And so as we think about our, our church, you know, we're 2021. Um, and we want to see people saved. That is the absolute number one priority, I believe, that, that Christians, we, we should be glorifying God and, and worshiping and praising Him. Um, but as far as the Great Commission, our number one goal is to see people saved. And if we want that, if, if that's our desire, if it, if like Nehemiah, if that's our desire and it grieves us that we can't, that we're not seeing it, um, we must go to God. We must have the blessing of the hand of the Lord. Verse 21 again, the hand of the Lord was with them. When God is with our ministry, when God is with our preaching, when God is with us as we share testimony at work, when God is with us when we, we just talking with our neighbor, when God is with us, but the hand of the Lord was with them, a great number believed and turned unto the Lord. Go to 1 Peter chapter 5. 1 Peter chapter 5. For God to use us, um, I believe we have to be humble. Uh, another insurmountable obstacle that we face is our own pride. You know, is the sin of our pride. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse number 6. Humble yourselves, therefore, under what? The mighty hand of God. As we think about how, what are our needs in our, our church today, we want to see souls saved, but we must be humble. We have to fight the pride that just comes up so fast. The, the thought that I can accomplish something, the thought that I wrote that message, it sounded pretty good, don't you think? Or I sang that song, or, or I'm a good Christian, I've been saved 30 years, they asked me to be a deacon, I, do the, I clean the building, whatever it might be. If pride has come in up our lives, God calls it a sin. And as we think about the hand of God, we must seek the hand of God to humble ourselves. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time. Our next, our next uh, desire as a church might, uh, might be restoring the wayward. 
Go to the book of Psalms in the Old Testament. Psalms chapter number 37. Psalm chapter number 37, verse number 23. The steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord, and he delighteth in his way. Though he fall, he shall not be utterly cast down. And then see what God's hand does. For the Lord upholdeth him with his hand. For the Lord upholdeth him. The Lord upholdeth the righteous? He does. But in this verse, we find that God upholdeth those who fall. You know, when we restore a wayward brother, and, and the, the very first goal I said was, was uh, seeing souls saved, but restoring the wayward has the idea of, of restoring people who um, once called themselves Christians, perhaps, or once attended church, or, or um, you know, they, they have a, uh, they've called on Jesus to be their Savior, but they're just, they've fallen into sin, um, the steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord, and he delighteth in his way, Though he fall, all right, we will trip up. We will um, face different times of sin in our lives. You know, until we're given, you know, until Jesus comes back or or we we pass away and we go to heaven, we have sin natures that we fight against. Though he fall, you can almost say when he falls, it's a guarantee. Though he fall, he shall not be utterly cast down. God doesn't just throw you out, you know, and, and uh, well, you know better, you know. And we've, all, we've all said that to someone before. Um, I told you so, right? But God says, though he fall, he shall not be cast down. For the Lord upholds him, upholdeth him with his hand. Uh, go to Psalms 32. If we think about someone who, who walked with God and then fell into sin... I think of David, right off the bat. Psalms 32, verse number one. Blessed is he who tra- whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man unto whom the Lord imputeth not iniquity, and is in whose spirit there is no guile. When I kept silence, my bones waxed old through my roaring all the day long. Verse four, for day and night thy hand was heavy upon me. And one of the things that God's hand is mighty and able to do is convicting us of sin. You know, the same hand that, um, you know, that uh, did so many wonderful miracles and and so many awesome things in in the the Old Testament that we could read about, just the power that's there. If if you, if you, in your, in your, uh, in your devotion time, maybe just, just search the hand of God or the hand of the Lord and see all the different stories and all the different things that God accomplished when he judges sin, when he, um, when he does miraculous things, when he blesses people through the power of his hand and the power that's there. And for David to say, for night and day thy hand was heavy upon me, the, the might of God's conviction, um, the, the conviction over our sin. My moisture is turned into the drought of summer. Selah. I acknowledged my sin unto thee. What was the purpose of God's hand being so heavy? Was to convict David. I acknowledged my sin unto thee, and mine iniquity have I not hid. I said, I will confess my transgressions unto the Lord, and thou forgavest the iniquity of my sin. You know, with, with, uh, with Timothy at home, he's four years old now. Um, I, I don't think I can 
I recall a story of him just voluntarily telling us that he broke a rule. Where he came in and said, Dad, I'm sorry, I, I, I took your last bag of chips or, or, or the last cookie. You know, I, I can't think of a time when, when Timbit felt um, sorry for something and voluntarily brought it up and told us. Um, but when my wife and I, or, or I, uh, go and confront him and say, Timothy, did you hit Toby? Did you pour the water on the floor? Did you color on the wall? Um, when we brought opposition to him, when we confronted him with his sin, all of a sudden the wheels start turning and, and Timbit can, can um, hopefully uh, repent uh, and uh, admit that there is sin there, perhaps. Um, but think of that within our own lives. How often do we go through just day to day and, and it might be sin in our, our thought life. It might be how we think of our, um, you know, our neighbor and, or covet or, um, or uh, backbiting or gossip or whatever it might be. Um, and that sin doesn't bother us. You know, just going day to day, nothing in our flesh is bothered by that sin. And it's not until God's hand or the conviction of the Holy Spirit, uh, David says in this, in this illustration, thy hand was heavy upon me. The conviction that God can bring. You know, I remember times where you're just sitting there and then it just felt like God just smacks you outside the head and says, what are you doing? Um, the heaviness of that, the power of that, when you can experience God's convicting you of sin. But then he, he upholdeth him. What we saw in verse 37, when David sinned with Bathsheba and covering it up and, and you know, without going to that whole story, uh, God didn't just cast him off. God, God held him up and there was a, a period of time there where David would, um, scholars think that maybe he was um, uh, wandering, I guess if you want to call it that, not right with God. Um, but God never gave up on David. And it's to the point where David can write verse 5. I acknowledge my sin unto thee. Mine iniquity have I not hid. I said, I will confess my transgressions unto the Lord. And then what did God do? He forgave us the iniquity of my sin. And then the last one today, uh, today as we think about the hand of God, the mighty good hand of God, is in 1 Chronicles, chapter number 29. First Chronicles chapter 29, verse number 12. Both riches and honor come of thee. Thou reignest over all, and in thy hand is power and might, and in thy hand it is to make great and to give strength unto all. You know, as we go through a very strange time at church, you know, we can't meet, we can't gather, um, it can be frustrating. You know, it can be exhausting. You feel like you're all alone. You feel like you're going through this by yourself. Um, and what do we need? We need strength and we need encouragement. And God tells us that in this verse. Both riches and honor come of thee and, and uh, thou reignest over all. And in thy hand is power and might. And in thy hand it is to make great and to give strength unto all. You know, I picked four, four needs of our church of our church family. There, there could be a hundred. You know, there, there could be a, a unique need 
that you are experiencing that no one else is. You know, Ezra and Nehemiah had similar needs or similar desires or, or um, things that were on their heart that they, that they needed help with. And, uh, and we see with both of those men that the good hand of God was upon them. And as we close this morning, um, just remind us or just remind you, um, how did they experience that? How did it come to be that the good hand of God was upon them? With Ezra, um, with Ezra, it was because he sought, he, it was, uh, he had prepared his heart. He prepared his heart to seek the Lord, the law of the Lord, sorry, to do it and to teach others as well. With Nehemiah, it was through prayer. You know, when, when he was given the opportunity, what, what do you want? What's your request? Nehemiah stopped and prayed. He asked God. They also both made a decision to trust God. They had possessive, the Lord their God, the Lord thy, my God. And so this morning, you know, if you're sitting there and you're like, I have all these needs and I have all these burdens, um, I want the blessing of the hand of God. I want to see people saved. I want to, I want to humble myself. I know I struggle with pride. I want to see um, the, the wayward made whole. Or maybe you're sitting here this morning and you are the wayward. You know, you, you stumbled onto this, had no intention of going, watching church, um, and you're not walking with God, and, and that's the farthest thing from your mind. Or maybe you're sitting there and you just need strength or encouragement. All of that we see in the Bible, God uses the illustration of the hand of God. I need the hand of God. And so we start by making it possessive. We start by praying. We start by seeking the law of the Lord. Let's pray. God, you're so good to us. God, I thank you for your word. Um, God, I do pray for our church family, my church family, God, as I have opportunity uh, to open your word. God, I pray that this message would be um, one that would encourage but also convict them, God. And, and uh, you know exactly the, the hearts and their needs and, and uh, the desires of our church, God. I pray that you would uh, um, just challenge us uh, to desire the hand of God and to, to go about receiving it the way that your word says. I pray all this in Christ's name. Amen. I encourage you, as Daniel plays, just spend some time asking God to convict you of sin. Maybe you are that wayward Christian. And it's just it starts with prayer and saying, God, I'm sorry. Maybe you've never made the first step. Maybe you're not even a Christian. You know, there's, there's going to be a number across the bottom of our screen uh, that you can text or you can email or you can call the church. And we, any of us staff there uh, would love to share the gospel of Jesus Christ with you. Maybe you need strength. Maybe you need encouragement. Maybe you're, you're just, it's tough. And I think many people are experiencing that. Would you just pray and ask God to give you the blessing of his, his mighty hand?